If you have your Bibles, please turn to Genesis chapter 28. We are over halfway through our series in Genesis now. And this morning we are continuing to look at the life of Jacob and the, the mounting drama that has been taking place in his life over these past few chapters. And this drama is going to continue uh, in our passage this morning as well. But along with it, we are going to see a glorious picture of who God is and how God meets us in the drama of our own lives. Um, so we're going to read all of Genesis chapter 28, but then we're going to focus most of our time on the last 12 chapters. But read along with me, starting in verse 1. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paddan Aram to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padam Aram and to Laban, the son of Bethuel of Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there. And he said, as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Methula, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Naboth. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of the ladder reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give to me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. 
And the stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that I give, and all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. May God bless the preaching of his word. Several years ago, I went to Yosemite National Park, uh, which I was told was one of the most beautiful places in our country. And I, and I went there in a season of my life needing to get away from what was just a season of, of just incredible stress and, and weariness and tiredness in my life. And so, so I took this trip hoping to get out into the, the beauty of nature uh, for a time of rest and recovery in life. Uh, unfortunately, when I got to Yosemite, it was raining there, and the whole Yosemite Valley was filled with this dense fog, and so you could, you could only see about 100 feet in front of you, wherever you were. So, so literally, you could see nothing that one goes to Yosemite to see. And, and, the, and the weather forecast was calling for this type of weather for the remainder of my time here at Yosemite. Now, um, this was the, the first real vacation that I had been on in like 10 years. So this was a, a pretty discouraging start to the vacation for me. Uh, however, I was, I was determined to make the most of it, and I, I was hoping that maybe the weather would clear up. So I, so I packed my bag, and I got my gear together, and I, I set off early this morning for this kind of half-day hike up Yosemite uh, Falls, which, which was supposed to provide kind of the most beautiful view in Yosemite. Uh, however, when I got to the top, the, the fog had only gotten worse. And you could really only see like 10 feet in front of this dirt path that you were walking on. And uh, so, so here I was kind of exhausted from this hike. Uh, I was more tired than I was when I started my vacation. And I was, I was growing discouraged and just nothing about this experience had been what I had hoped it would be. And, uh, and again, the forecast was only predicting that I was going to get worse from here. So, so in, my, in my tiredness and in my discouragement, I kind of just, I found this large rock and just laid down on this rock and just kind of closed my eyes and just, and just gave up on the trip. It was, it was not my finest moment of vacationing. Um, and I don't, I don't know how long I lay there. Uh, and I think I, I might have actually drifted off to sleep at, at some point. But at some point, I woke up to this guy standing over me, shaking my shoulders and saying, dude, wake up. You have got to see this. And so I sat up and I opened my eyes and I saw that the entire Yosemite Valley had been completely cleared of all of the fog. And what I saw before me was the most beautiful picture I'd ever seen. And we have a picture of it up here on the screen. And pictures, of course, never do justice to what was really there. But this was the most beautiful thing that I'd ever seen in my life. It was by far the most glorious display of beauty. And there was, there was something about falling to sleep, tired and discouraged, and then waking up to this and then waking up to the most beautiful sight that I'd ever seen. There's something about that that was just rejuvenating and refreshing for me. And uh, now as refreshing as this experience was for me, uh, in the end, it was just valleys and waterfalls and mountains. But it was, the, it was the only thing I could think of that was close to this experience like Jacob had in this story where he was woken up to this awe-inspiring vision. But here in Genesis 28, Jacob woke up to something far more glorious than my Yosemite experience. Jacob encountered the very glory of God. 
Jacob saw God. Jacob heard the very voice of the Lord. And this vision that God, that God gave to Jacob produced in him a, a hope and encouragement that changed the course of his life forever. And as we look at this encounter this morning, I believe that we are going to find the same hope and the same encouragement for our lives as well. And so this is where we're going this morning. I, I think the, the main idea behind Genesis 28 is this, that the, the presence of God and the assurance of his faithfulness is all that we need in this life. The presence of God and the assurance of his faithfulness is all that we need in this life. And we're going to examine this by looking at four main points this morning. First, we're going to look at Jacob's wilderness. Second, we're going to look at God's revelation. Third, we're going to look at Christ's salvation. And then fourth, we're going to look at our response. So first, Jacob's wilderness. If you were with us last week, you'll remember uh, that Jacob's situation that he is in in life right now is a complete disaster. His, his family was, was a mess to begin with, but now Jacob and his mother had deceived um, their father into giving the family blessing to, to him instead of his older brother Esau. And, and this throws the family into, into chaos. Everyone is beginning to turn on one another. Esau is out to kill Jacob. And, and Jacob is basically sent away from his family with nothing. So Jacob had messed up bad in life. His life is a disaster in this moment. And he is, he is quite literally fleeing for his life. And then we come to verse 10. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones from the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Now this text clues us in even a little bit more into the desperate situation that Jacob finds himself in. In verse 11 it says that he came to a certain place. Now in the Old Testament, whenever someone of importance is being spoken of or something significant is happening in the life of somebody, uh, the writers will mention the specific place that they are. They will say, he, he came to this specific city or ascended this particular mountain. But in verse 11, it just says he came to a certain place, meaning he was in the middle of nowhere. This place doesn't even have a name. He's just alone in the wilderness, just at some random place. And more than this, not only is he, is he in the middle of nowhere, but he has nothing. He doesn't even have a place to sleep. Verse 11 says that, that the sun had set and so he just found a rock to lay his head down to sleep on. He had hit rock bottom in life, literally. And, and what struck me as I was considering the life and the story of Jacob here is, is how relatable his character is. Now, probably... None of us have found ourselves running for our lives and sleeping on the rock in the middle of a wilderness. But, but I think that just about any of us can relate to some aspect of Jacob's story. And that is because literally every aspect of Jacob's life is in crisis right now. There is so much drama in his life that probably any of us can say to ourselves, I can at least relate to that part of Jacob's story. Think about Jacob's situation. Jacob is in relational crisis. 
His, his family situation is an absolute mess. He has betrayed his brother. He has lied to his father. There is hatred brewing throughout the family. And his brother wants to kill him. So, so Jacob is on the run. He has nobody in life. Jacob is truly alone in this moment. And maybe some of us can relate to that this morning. Jacob's also in an emotional crisis. He's dealing with, I, I'm sure, some amount of, of guilt and shame over his actions and, and how they have led him to where he's at in life right now. Uh, he is scared about his future. There is so much uncertainty in his life. And maybe some of us can relate to a little bit of that this morning. Jacob's in a financial crisis. He has nothing. He is homeless. He is sleeping on the rock in the middle of nowhere. He has no job. He has no clear direction on how to provide for himself. Maybe some of this we can relate to this morning. Jacob's also having an identity crisis. His whole life was built around obtaining his father's love and obtaining this blessing. But the only way that he could get it was by deceiving his father. He had to pretend to be someone else. He had to cheat and lie and become someone that he wasn't in order to find his place in this world. His whole identity was built around this one thing. And then he got it. And then everything that he'd been working so hard to achieve ended up ripping his family apart and leaving him with nothing. And maybe some of us can relate to this this morning. And finally, Jacob is in a spiritual crisis, right? Jacob is the one that God had promised to bless. And even though he had schemed to get that blessing, he had actually received it, right? And yet in spite of these promises, he's out here in the wilderness with nothing. So where is God in this picture? Has he been abandoned by God? Did he mess up too bad and now God has taken that blessing away? This, this situation he is in is not a promising situation. And his, his life seems to be a contradiction to the promises of God. And I can imagine Jacob as he, as he lays his head down on this rock in the middle of the night. I can imagine him looking up into the heavens and asking, God, where are you in all of this? And more than that, he must be wondering is there possibly a path forward that does not end in his ruin in this moment? And maybe some of us can relate to that this morning. The drama of this story is building up fast. And the, and the big question here is, is there hope for Jacob? And of course, this question matters to us this morning because we too find ourselves asking similar questions in life, right? Right? And I don't know what type of crisis there might be in your life. It could be small. It could be large. I don't know what it is that you're facing. But, but the big question is, where is God in these moments? Who is God in these moments? How does God relate to us in these moments of life? Well, in the next verse in our passage, we are given this answer. And this leads us to our second point this morning, which is God's revelation. Jacob went to sleep that night in one of the darkest, loneliest moments of his life. And it was in this moment that he had this extraordinary encounter with God. Verse 12, it says, He dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, 
and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. Now, when the text says that Jacob dreamed this, uh, it, it, but it doesn't quite mean that um, this is just a, a regular dream, right? You know, I think sometimes we, we have dreams and we, we wake up in the morning and we think, oh, wow, okay, that was, that was a weird dream, right? But that's not what's happening here. Uh, in verse 16, Jacob wakes up and he says this. He says, surely the Lord is in this place. And he was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Now, we're going to talk about what all that means, but it's clear this is not just a normal dream that Jacob had, right? He had actually encountered the living, holy God in this vision. And church, the the details of this vision that was given to Jacob, when when we really think about what they mean, are a testimony to the most incredible and satisfying realities in this life. And that might sound like a a bold statement to make, but it was certainly true for Jacob, and I believe that it's true for us this morning as well. So let's look in greater detail at these verses. In verse 12, it says that Jacob saw a ladder, and at the top of it reached into the heavens. Now, other translations um, use the word staircase instead of the word ladder here. But kind of all the scholars and commentaries, they, they all agree that the, the image here is of a pathway that connects heaven and earth. And, and most likely, this vision was not of a, a ladder like we typically think about it, but a, but a large tower or a large stairway. It was probably actually similar to these, these ancient buildings called ziggurats that were common in that day. And we have a picture of one of these up here on the screen that you can see. And what these ziggurats were, were they were these massive religious structures that were built of, as symbols of how man could make their way up into the divine. Remember back in Genesis 11 in the Tower of Babel, this is what the people were making. They were making this huge tower that served as a staircase into the heavens. And it represented man's ability to ascend to God or even to become God. And church, these towers, these stairways, they were a testimony to the the foolishness of humanity in our attempt to make our way to the divine. Outside of Christianity, All religion really has at its core a a system by which we might work our way to God. Catholicism, Buddhism, Mormonism, they, they all have these systems in which we might climb our way into the presence of the divine by our own effort. And of course, even when you look outside of religion, you you still see in the world around us a, a system where you have to prove yourself worthy in order to be accepted, right? If, if you want that promotion at work, you have to show that you stand out, that you are better than those around. You have to work hard and you have to prove yourself. If you want to win the affections of that guy or girl, you have to dress nice and put your best self forward and prove yourself before they move on, right? If, if you break somebody's trust in life, you have to work five times harder to rebuild that trust, to prove again that you are who you say that you are. This is just how it is in the world around us, right? And so we are, we are hardwired to think this way. 
And so we naturally expect that this is how God relates to us as well. And again, returning to this vision of this tower reaching up to the heavens, the the obvious purpose of these structures is so that you could make your way up. That's why you build stairs, so that you can, on your own strength, make your way up to where you want to be. But that is a daunting idea when it comes to God, right? Think about what is required of us to make our way to God. We are required to be perfect, to be holy, to be blameless. That is what is required of us. And that's not the type of person that Jacob is, right? That certainly is not the type of people that we are either. But that is also not the type of stairway that Jacob saw. Again, in verse 12, Jacob sees this majestic stairway connecting heaven and earth. And then in verse 13, it says this, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, if your Bible has footnotes, you might see that in verse 13 when it says that God stood above it. It can also be translated, God stood beside him, or God was beside Jacob, meaning that this vision was one of God coming down to Jacob. And listen to what God says to Jacob in verse 15. He says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. Now, church, what is amazing about this statement is it is one of the few places in the Old Testament, early on in the the Old Testament, where God explicitly gave a promise like this, right? Throughout the Old Testament, you have these promises um, to, to Isaac and to Sarah and to Abraham that he would multiply their families and make them a great nation and bless them. But to Jacob, in Jacob's darkest hour, in his loneliest moment, when he had nothing, God said, I will be with you. The whole point of this vision, of this stairway, is not a way for Jacob to make his way up to God, but rather it's a statement of how God has made his way down to Jacob. And this really is an incredible testimony to the grace and the mercy of God, right? Again, Jacob is a disaster. He has not lived a good life. He is fleeing from the chaos that he helped create. And then when God breaks through into his life to comfort him and to bless him, it wasn't during a moment that Jacob was seeking after God, right? Jacob wasn't praying. Jacob wasn't fasting. Jacob wasn't even awake. Jacob was sleeping. God's mercy, God's revelation, God's blessing, it was all his initiative, There was nothing worthy about Jacob that compelled God to move toward him. Nothing other than his grace and his mercy and his heart to redeem us. That is the type of God that our God is. And church, this vision that Jacob got, everything that we have been talking about, it it ultimately points towards an even greater revelation and hope from God. And that leads us to point number three this morning, which is Christ's salvation. Because here's the thing. 
we can look at the story of Jacob and think that's great for him that he got to encounter God in this way, to, to hear his voice, to literally see him standing right beside him, right? But it kind of makes us want to have an encounter with God like that, right? It's, it's all well and good for Jacob that God came down from heaven and strengthened him and assured him of his, of his promises. But this is also what we want, right? I imagine that, that all of us at some point in our lives have, have probably thought, God, I wish that you would speak to me. I wish that heaven would, would open up and that I could see you. I wish that I too, just like all these stories in the Bible, could receive this powerful assurance that you are with me. I imagine our, our morning this morning would, would look differently right now if we had woken up this morning after having a vision and experience like Jacob had, right? That's probably true. But what I want to argue this morning is that we have been given an even greater revelation of God, an even greater assurance of his presence with us than even Jacob was given. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry. In chapter one, he's, he's calling together this group of disciples to follow him. And one of his disciples is named Nathaniel. And Jesus says something to Nathaniel that is absolutely incredible. Jesus says that if he follows him, that he will see great things. And then he says this in, in John one uh, fifty one. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this is an astounding statement. It is a direct reference to the vision that Jacob had in our passage in Genesis 28. Jesus is saying that he is that ladder. He is that staircase. He is the one that connects heaven and earth. I love how the Old Testament and the New Testament work together in this way. See, Jacob saw this vision of God and he heard the promise of God, but it was Christ who ultimately came to fulfill that promise. Christ, Emmanuel, whose name means God with us. Jesus came down from heaven for real. Not just a vision, but in the flesh to be with us. He, he entered the wilderness of our broken to redeem us by giving his life for us on the cross. Jacob had this vision, but church, we have Christ. To know Jesus is to know God to experience his presence, to be assured of his faithfulness. To know Jesus is an experience far more profound than these stories in the Old Testament. Hebrews 1 says this, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What this means is that Christ is the final word from God to us on his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. 
Christ is the great assurance that God is with us and that he is for us, right? God met his people in mighty ways in the past, right? Through dreams and visions and through fire. But in these final days, meaning the days that we are in right now, this morning, God has spoken to us through his son. So we might think, how wonderful it would be to have a vision like Jacob got to see, right? To see God himself come down and be with us and to assure us of his love. But church, if you are a Christian, that is what God has already done for you. We aren't waiting for God to open up the heavens and come down. He has already done that. The heavens are open this morning. Christ has already come down. His spirit abides with us this morning. And yes, that day is coming when when Christ will reveal himself fully to us and will redeem all of this and make all things new. But we don't wait just for that day to come because Christ is with us today. He has revealed himself through Christ. He he has stepped down into the wilderness of your brokenness and he has redeemed you. And it doesn't matter where you're at this morning, what crisis you may be walking through. It doesn't matter how much you have struggled or how far you have strayed. The, The point of Genesis 28 is that there is no wilderness where God will not meet you. And you don't have to have your, your life in order. God can make himself known to you. And he has made himself known to you. And he's done so most profoundly through his son, Jesus. This is the gospel. And this is what Jacob got a glimpse of in this wilderness. And we have seen even more clearly than him. And as we finish our passage this morning, we see not only Uh, God's revelation to Jacob, but we also see Jacob's reaction to this vision. And this leads us to our fourth point this morning, which is our response. In verse 18, Jacob wakes, and as a a testimony to this encounter that he had, uh, he uses this rock that he'd slept on the night before to build this monument as a reminder of what had just happened. And in verse 22, it says this, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And the stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all all you have given me, I will give a full tenth to you. Now, I'm not quite sure what to make of Jacob's response here. On one hand, he seems to very much be coming clear in his mind um, that his future and his hope are dependent upon God's grace. Without God, there is not much of a future here for Jacob. But on the other hand, Jacob doesn't quite seem convinced that God is really going to be true to his word. He says, if you will be with me, then you will be my God, and then I will follow you and serve you. But there are no qualifiers to God's promises here. God isn't saying, look, if you keep your end of the bargain, Jacob, then I will bless you. No, what he says is, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Meaning that just as God had proven himself faithful to his people in the past, he would prove himself faithful to Jacob as well. 
says, behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Church, what a promise that is. That is God's heart towards us. He is fully committed to fulfilling his promises to us. And again, how astounding is it that God made this promise to Jacob? Jacob is not a great guy. He was a liar. He was selfish. He was a cheater. He schemed against his family. And then as his family started to fall apart, he left. He was a bad person. And then God, after nothing other than his unbelievable grace and mercy, reveals himself to Jacob in person. Jacob is like, I don't know, maybe. If you really come through for me, then I will follow you. How patient of God to not just give up on Jacob right now, right? And how gracious is God to not give up on us? Because we do the same thing, right? In spite of all of God's promises to us, in spite of all of his years of faithfulness to us, can't we, just like Jacob, sometimes say, I don't know, God, are you really going to be with me this time? Are you really going to fulfill your promises? And, then, and we, can, we can live in fear and we can, we can hold back our allegiance to Christ and, and just live half-heartedly for him until he really proves himself and, and really blesses us and really answers all of our prayers. But, but God's love and faithfulness to us is not conditional like ours is. And if you are a follower of Christ, then God's heart for you this morning is that you would walk in the freedom of that confidence. And if you're here this morning and, and you're not a Christian, and th- then, then maybe this idea of God's mercy and this undeserved favor is new to you. Maybe you came here thinking, I don't know if I can find God. I don't think that I can work my way into God's favor. And maybe you find yourself in your own wilderness in life. Maybe you feel lost and unworthy and unable to change. And the the pathway to righteousness seems unclimbable to you. And you know that you can't do it. Well, friend, the whole point of the gospel is that you can't. And that you don't have to because God has come to you. And it's almost unbelievable, right? which is why the grace of God and the message of the gospel is in all these stories in the Bible. Every week, right, it's kind of the same thing. We are sinners, we are asleep, we are helpless, we are unable to make our way to the mercy of God. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were sinners, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. All of scripture is about this, which is why we keep preaching it every week. Because God knows that we need it, that we forget that, that our confidence in these things wanes. And what God wants for us this morning is to rest in the assurance that in Christ, he is for us, that he is with us, that he will not leave us. 
that he will fulfill every promise to us. And if you come back next week, we're going to be talking more about the gospel. And we're going to be singing more songs about Jesus. And we're going to be worshiping and fellowshipping over these same truths. We're going to be dwelling on who Christ is and what he has done. Because the presence of God, which we have in Christ, and the assurance of his faithfulness, which we have in Christ, is all that we need in this life. Let me pray.